and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab up here on Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elderson, and joined with me, as always, is Adam Simon from our strategy team. Hello. And Christina Andronli, also from our strategy team. Glad to have you both here uh, on today's episode, which we will be discussing the recent Apple event that happened yesterday uh, on March 25th, uh, and it was showtime indeed. Uh, Apple announced numerous services products, including Apple News Plus, the Apple Card, Apple Arcade, Apple TV Channels, and Apple TV Plus. That is a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Uh, a what, lot of pluses. Yeah, a lot but of pluses. It, some <laughs> things that don't have pluses, mysteriously. So, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, I think it's the first time I've seen Apple like take branding from another company. Like Disney Plus came out with that, ESPN Plus, and they they, they kind of copied that. I think that's a first. I you know I I was thinking about this this morning. They actually used the plus in I forget exactly what it was called, but it was like iTunes Plus was when you got the DRM free version of songs from iTunes. I remember oh, there was a little school. plus icon next to them. Back in the day. So Apple has used it before. before. So. Adam, you're dating yourself. I know. Yeah. I'm really old. I, I, iTunes purchases went DRM free. Yeah. But um, I'm curious to know from you guys, just out of all the announcements, what was your personal favorite? Which, which product or services did you guys like the most? I surprisingly thought the most interesting thing was the Apple Card announcement, okay. um, which surprised me because it doesn't, it didn't it seem like it was going to be before the event, right? Um, but I think of the thing of given that we don't know a lot of details or all the details about every product at this point, I thought that was the most interesting. All right, we'll we'll, we'll be discussing that more later, Christina. How about yourself? I would say the card gave me most to think about. I think okay. my favorite thing that I saw released was the news service. Yep. Um, thinking a lot about kind of how you or how they are positioning it to both incentivize publishers as well as consumers and kind of the decisions they made coming through each of those incentives, I think is really interesting and gives me a lot to think about and a lot to monitor as it rolls out and we start to see consumers using it and kind of how those incentives shake out. Okay. And for me, it was the uh, the Apple Pay plus Transit. Uh, very excited to see that we'll be able to use Apple Pay um, for our NYC Metro card uh, sometime soon. As with everything, it seems it's it's sometime soon. Uh, but with that, uh, let's just jump straight into what was the first announced. We're, we're going to break this down into what we've considered their media products first, uh, which will be Apple News Plus, Apple Arcade, Apple TV Channels, and then Apple TV Plus. So I want to start with Apple TV News and what was announced. Uh, for those that weren't there listening... Apple News Plus. Oh, I say Apple TV Plus? You said Apple TV News. <laughs> okay. Well, it's already complicated enough. Uh, Apple TV Plus News. Yeah. So, oh, God. Bundle. Bundle. <laughs> Let's bundle it all together. Uh, so we'll start with Apple News Plus. Uh, so the product overview is, is this. Uh, it is a $10 per month subscription service that adds a full issue of 300 plus magazines, newspapers, and digital publications to the news app. Articles are designed specifically for the iPhone and iPad using the Apple News format. Um, and they have different layouts depending on the screen. Um, obviously, some big big newspapers that were announced were the Wall Street Journal as well as the Los Angeles Times. And the big thing to note is that, that there's no ad targeting uh, or tracking uh, for marketers. So, Christina, I know you said that the Apple News Plus was really something that you've been thinking about after they announced that. Uh, do you want to kind of dive a, a, 
a bit more into uh, this product that was announced and kind of your, your thoughts around it? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you think about kind of the last couple years of news consumption, a lot of that is happening on social media. And if you look at what happened with Facebook, right? Facebook has or did emerge as a main gatekeeper for news content. Um, and a lot of news publishers structured their headlines and their content strategy around pleasing the Facebook algorithm. Facebook changed that algorithm and kind of changed the mechanics of how news was disseminated on the platform. Um, Plus, you think about the disinformation that's spread on Facebook, and you kind of have this perfect storm where there's a vacuum of a news aggregator platform um, in the same way that Facebook has the eyeballs plus the supply side of it. I think Apple, rightly so, um, is looking at that as an opportunity. I think Apple's unique spin is all around human curation of news, which I think is super smart and I think is capturing on a cultural moment right now where consumers are more and more conscious of where they're getting their news, how they're getting their news, and are looking to trusted platforms, whether that's a news publisher like New York Times that puts trusted content behind a paywall, or Apple, who has had you know pretty consistent um, reputation of respecting user privacy and um, has that brand trust. And I think that all plays into this news platform, which I think is um, it'll be interesting to see how a publisher like New York Times, who has their own gated paywall, how they react to this new source of aggregation. Um, if they hold certain articles back, which I know Wall Street Journal is doing, but just really interesting to see kind of how they're stepping into this role and vacuum that's been created. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're, you know, taking what like their advantage that they have with the consumer trust and leveraging that for um, like that safe space that consumers are looking for. And, you know, today it's um, Apple News is no small competitor in the space. You know, like they have over five billion articles read a month, uh, which is super impressive. Uh, They announced that it's actually the number one news app in the world. Could be biased. I don't know, (laughs) because, you know, it's the Apple News app. Um, But uh the real interesting thing I thought was that for a price of that $10 per month, uh, if you were to actually subscribe to each of the publications or magazines in the uh, service itself, it would cost over $8,000 uh, a year. Uh, so it's kind of showing that, I guess, like the real value and benefit that comes with, you know, Apple providing as like a, another service from the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, in reality, obviously, most people would never subscribe to even a small fraction of the <laughs> of those magazines. And if you flip through them, there are lots of like tabloids and stuff. It's everything from like us weekly to uh you know the new yorker um but if there is a couple of those publications that like the new yorker that you might want to subscribe to um it certainly is a better value i think the interesting thing for me um well two things one is that they're also bundling some premium subscriptions from digital sources like the skim and TechCrunch and uh vox media are are including some premium content that'll be um exclusive inside of the bundle or that are sort of paywalled on their sites, but will be available as part of that bundle as well, um, which is really appealing for me to be able to see some premium stuff from like TechCrunch and Vox. Um, And the other thing is that even though on stage they made a big deal about featuring uh, the magazines as publications and issues, and you can sort of download them for offline reading as issues, uh, 
Apple News, the algorithms and the editors will actually surface individual articles inside your main mm -hmm. news homepage, um, which is actually, I expect, how most people are going to interface with this content. You'll see a story that's from a publication that you might have read before, um, and that will be how you discover that article. You won't necessarily... You can go through and read the whole issue, but you can also just have those articles surfaced. And for me, I think that that's... You know, uh, the the bundling of the of the issues is really a concession to publishers, and most users will just experience it as individual articles. And I think that's actually a pretty good compromise. I think that gets back to the conversation I guess I was having with myself at the beginning of the episode around incentives. I think I don't know how Apple News launches this other than the attention and the eyeballs that they have on the platform anyway. I don't know how they launch this with the backing of publishers if they're not offering something like a newsstand feature where the brand of the publisher matters and is aligned with how publishers think about their brands. I don't think that's how people read going mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that gets also back to an earlier point I was making around how do publishers now differentiate and what's that strategy given that this is a brand new aggregator relationship that's amassing attention. What does the value of the brand of the publisher mean on the magazine side, on the news side? And how do you keep that revenue source of um, subscriptions to your platform or service given this new source of aggregation? Yeah, that, that's all to think about. I mean, if you look at the larger media ecosystem, it seems like the like like the first response always is it's like it's been commoditized. Like there, it's it's very hard as a publisher to differentiate and, and stand out, um, given that it's a digital good that's free technically across you know like the whole ecosystem. I actually think it's become commoditized because of the aggregators in a way, though, because you're incentivized to have clickbait headlines and get more eyeballs to your site to support an ad-supported business model. Right. But what if the business model changes and we return to quality journalism, which is kind of what we're seeing, too, is a refinement down of all these surface-level articles into more well-thought-out journalism. Um, this could be the human curation element element might contribute to that journalism first approach too. Yeah. And I think one thing that I just wanted to clarify that I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding. They didn't really discuss the business model on stage. Obviously, this was not meant to be, um, you know, airing the, the dirty laundry between uh, negotiations between Apple and the publishers. But um, from everything we know, the publishers are being compensated on a time spent basis. And I think that that is being a little bit conflated with, um, you know, possibly causing things like clickbait. Um, it's not time spent is not the same as clicks. So if you clickbait, the notoriously, obviously, is about you, the headline does not tell you the real answer to the thing that you want to know. And so you click through and it's like, you know, you have to skim the entire article and view load a lot of ads in order to find the answer to, you know, the question, which was maybe one person's name or one photograph. And time spent actually is, I think, uh, a better way to compensate people because you, if you read an article, an in-depth article from The Atlantic, for example, that might take you 10 or 15 minutes, then you're spending 10 or 15 minutes on The Atlantic and as opposed to 30 seconds looking for the answer to clickbait. So I actually think that that's... It may, it may not be the ideal way to compensate, but I actually think that it is trying to an attempt at countering the uh, trend of clickbait headlines and things like that towards incentivizing quality journalism. Right. Yeah. And Christina, I know to your point, I think Apple is in this, in this unique position when it comes to the business model because they 
their main business model is, you know, selling hardware products. So this becomes in a sense like that's like, that's like, like that side hustle, like that side cash that, that they can get. So like they don't have to rely on ads and then which incentivizes, I hope the, um, the actual publications themselves to like write better news, write better articles to, you know, spend that time on quality journalism because they aren't going to be incentivized by um, advertisement. Like they don't need ads to come in and help, you know, prove out the, like the larger model. I actually thought I brought this up to Adam yesterday that because of the way that the hardware is designed and because of their expertise and their strong capability in designing customer experiences that are design forward and easy to consume, there could be an interesting model. And I don't know how they're doing this, but it's hard for these legacy publications to adapt formats for digital models, especially when they don't know how readership picks up could be interesting for Apple to kind of take a stake in that as well in determining, and I don't know if this is like a viable business case, but I wonder to to what extent they are helping publishers design format or content that fits the iPhone format, and in doing so creates lock-in with the publishers as well. Yeah, we were speculating about this um, during the event uh, because one of the problems that Apple's had in the past is, you know, Apple News already has a proprietary format and just getting publishers to use that is uh, challenging. And I think that there there have been um, plugins built for certain publishing platforms, but, you know, a lot of the bigger publishers use custom software to do their, mm-hmm. their layout and publishing. So uh, we were speculating about this in the event. At the current time, you know, Apple hires... Um, editors in the markets that Apple News is in, it's very possible that they could hire designers to do the layout. Magazines come out once a month. They're not, they, you know, they're a finite length. It's like a known quantity. Um, I don't think that would be crazy. And I don't think it would be a bad use of Apple's money. We don't have any evidence that that's happening right now. But I think it, you know, the scale of Apple makes a lot of things like that that seem crazy 100% possible. And it's just like, if that's going to solve the problem, you know, make yeah. it happen. <laughs> and there's a need for it. Um, Federico, I don't know his last name on Twitter, like went through and counted all 300 magazines and it was about 49% are in the Apple news format and the other 40 or and the other 51% are in the PDF format. So there is like right, right, right then and there is kind of like a differentiator for like a publisher. It's like, if you can get your format or your, your content in the Apple news format, that is better, you know, I guess it, it aligns with how consumers read and expect from like the Apple News like aggregator itself. That might even, in a sense, prioritize a, a consumer to go to your magazine over somebody else's. That's just kind of like a standard PDF. And spend more time on the articles and get paid more. Yep, exactly. Right. Um, awesome. Well, with that, let's move on to uh, the next announcement, which is Apple Arcade. So for those that don't know, Apple Arcade is a subscription service featuring about 100 plus new uh, and exclusive games at launch. It supports the iPhone, iPad, Mac, and Apple TV. Uh, All titles are playable offline. Uh, There are no ads, no additional purchases, and uh, games cannot track or collect data on users. Uh, And this will be a monthly plan and also a family subscription plan, but uh, there's no pricing disclosed at this time, and it looks like it'll be launching in the fall. Uh, So Adam, what are your thoughts on this Apple Arcade? Uh, And let's start with the name. Do you like the name? I I love the name. name. I love the name. I do like the name. It's one of the mysterious things, though, where it's unclear to me why it's not Apple Arcade Plus, even though there's not a non-plus version right. <laughs> because it does seem like all of the new monetized services are going to have a plus on them so we'll see maybe they'll add a plus in the fall when it launches they're product people <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah apple for all the credit apple people give apple for marketing they are actually kind of bad at branding in general um and in lately their their uh impulse has been to just do the most obvious word for branding which is fine but then when you launch all of these things together 
and there is a seemingly through line of plus and it's not on one of the products it's confusing um so i actually i said that the card was my my favorite thing because i think it's the most interesting but i actually love apple arcade as a concept i love it as uh apple you know traditionally has a bad reputation with games and with gamers um apple makes great hardware that can power lots of awesome games um, but they seem to never really understand what's happening in the game industry or how to appeal to game developers and um, how to build, you know, marketplaces for games. And for the first time, this actually gives me hope that Apple has really taken a look at the marketplace and said, we're not going to just play catch up. We're going to solve some of the problems in our own app store and we're going to look at where the market is going and we're just going to head in that direction right away. Um, because and we should do an entire podcast about what's happening <laughs> in the gaming industry because there's a lot of things moving. There is actually one in the works. Great. Uh, but uh, the the idea of an all-you-can-eat uh, subscription bundle for games is definitely where everyone is headed over the next few years. Um, Apple's going to get there on the early side, which, again, is surprising. Yeah. Um, and they're also finally acting like a platform owner. Um, the console owners like Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo, um, as well as platform owners like Steam on the PC side, they do similar things to what Apple is doing, which is Apple is paying for exclusivity. Um, some of the, In some cases, it turns out that's not complete exclusivity, but it's for uh, just mobile and desktop. Um, some of these games are also going to be on consoles as well, other consoles. Um, but I think that that tells me that Apple is getting serious about this. They're working closely with these developers to develop these first hundred games. And it sounds like, you know, continuously going forward. I think this is an excellent use of Apple's money to invest in these games <laughs> because games drive um, a lot of usage of devices. Um, and they, they particularly work well on Apple's higher end devices. And, and Apple, you know, is constantly pushing the, the the line of what is possible on mobile devices. And uh, it finally might make games on Apple TV a real thing um, because these games are going to be cross-platform on the Mac and iOS devices and the Apple TV. So, um, And that might finally uh, justify the higher cost and performance of the Apple TV as a, a TV-connected device. That was, I think, my favorite part about it was that I can be playing a game on my iPhone, pick it up on my iPad. It knows where I left off. I can then sit down on my couch and pick it up on TV, and it goes across every single device yep. and knows what you're playing and where you've stopped, where you started. I think that actually reinforces the ecosystem as well, yep. um, in addition yeah. to providing a superior experience for a gamer. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing like, in like the broader gaming industry is that the games, in a sense, are kind of like being one step removed from the hardware itself, whether that's through just like compatibility across all like the iOS devices, uh, or if you kind of look at what Google is doing with their um, Stadia product and what Microsoft is looking to launch, they want to kind of extract the game from the console. So that's the way it runs in the cloud, and that way you can kind of play it anywhere. Now, to note, Apple is a subscription service. Where, and it's not a streaming service of games, but Correct. you know, it, like they're still kind of along that same path. Yeah, and I don't think we would expect Apple to do a streaming service, and nor do they really need to if they're keeping it to their own devices, um, which we expect them to do. Um, all of that said, I think that this is probably going to be less expensive than what we see um, from Google and uh, Sony and yep. from Microsoft. I think it's they haven't announced pricing, but I think it will be on the lower end um, for a gaming service. And I think it really is mobile focused, even though you can play it on your TV and your desktop. Um, I think it will be, you know, mobile first. Um, and that makes a lot of sense for Apple. And I think it's 
they don't need to stream. It's fine to be able right. to download the games. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just, it's exciting. It's it, They also invested a lot in a lot of great indie developers. The iPhone specifically has been great for indie game developers um, because of the open app store. Um, unlike the game consoles, there, the game consoles are a lot more open than they were uh, five or 10 years ago. But um, the uh, iPhone obviously was open to anybody right away. And it really, we saw like a renaissance of indie game developers yeah. on the iPhone. And Apple has invested in bringing a lot of those developers into the arcade yeah. platform. I felt like a lot of the games that were kind of like displayed are, I mean, they're very visual. It's all about storytelling. It has, it has an education strategy, kind of even like a STEM aspect to it. Like I felt very calm. <laughs> I felt very calm when it all came out. Like I saw it was with nice visuals and I was like, you know, this is like an interesting way to kind of spend your time that isn't, you know, I guess like kind of involved in the day-to-day like chaotic that's out there on the, on these like social networks. So that I thought was an interesting angle where, you know, they presented this as like a, a state of calm and kind of like wellness and meditation. Yeah. I would say that it's an aesthetic of indie games to be a little more calm and less action packed. Right. And I think that that plays very nicely into, uh, you know, the image that Apple wants for their platform. So I think what you, especially in the news and in the trades and stuff, you hear, when you hear about gaming, you hear a lot about Twitch and you hear a lot about esports and kind of that more hardcore end of the set, the sector. I think they're rightly and smartly taking kind of a different tack in that and being the centralized place for casual gamers and a place for them to congregate and build community around these new exclusive titles so i think that was also something interesting that popped yep. out to me too mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um and there's and there's a and like i'm sure they know it from their data that there are a lot of people playing mobile games and they're here to serve that need so um we'll see how it all uh, comes together in the fall uh but with that i want to now move on to another uh media announcement here which is apple tv channels and apple tv plus so we'll start with apple tv channels and then we'll work our way into apple tv plus they are two separate things so forgive me if i conflate my uh my pronunciation of these two because it's just there's a lot of plus a lot of tv going on um a lot of hollywood you can watch apple tv on via apple tv on your apple tv I can't. I can't. <laughs> so speak, talking about using the obvious branding and then somehow still making it yeah. <laughs> Um So with that, uh, Apple TV channels offers bundles from numerous cable and online providers for ad-free, on-demand, offline viewing. Uh, there's a redesigned TV app, provides personalized recommendations, notifications uh, for sporting events, and it even has a dedicated kids section, uh, as well as the Apple TV app update will be rolling out in May. Uh, it's coming to Mac in the fall, and it's also going to launch on smart TVs with Roku and the Amazon Fire Stick. It's a lot going on there, and it's, it kind of follows suit from their CES announcement of the different you know hardware like providers that they're going into from uh, Sony and Vizio and Samsung. Yeah, I mean it's it seems complicated, um, and it might be complicated to consumers. Uh, I'm not because <laughs> I think I think the naming is not helping that. But at the end of the day, it's exactly the same strategy as Amazon. They are reselling other people's services through their own app, which will live cross-platform on TV connected devices, um, and they will also supplement that with original content. Um, now the original content slate is looking fairly strong, um, but uh, until things actually start rolling out, we don't really know. Um, you know, they announced they they brought up people to talk about. I don't know. It was like maybe half a dozen shows yep. um, on the stage, uh, but we know there are over thirty in development. So it's unclear exactly what will launch. You know, by the end of this year and what will come next year and going forward. Um, but 
at the end of the day, it's um, less about those original shows. Those original shows are obviously sort of a carrot, but it's also more, it's just going to be the obvious thing to use if you want some of those channels or the original shows and you are on Apple's platforms already. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, they're, they're, it's the same platform play as Amazon, basically. Yeah. And Amazon and Apple are playing nice together. Prime was heavily featured as one of the participants as the, with the new TV app as well. Yeah, which is great to see. It seems like that relationship between Apple and Amazon continues to develop and grow uh, throughout the year. Um, the and just and just to kind of clarify, the Apple TV Plus, like um, that part of this is just all Apple's original content. So that's from the stars of Oprah. Steven Spielberg was there. Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, Reese Witherspoon, J.J. Uh, Abrams. Chris Evans like fell asleep in the audience, but he was there. <laughs> uh, so that is all their all their original programming. And Adam, to your point, it, it seems like this is going to be something that will just allow you to kind of shift your viewing behavior from like separate apps into this Apple TV app. Like I think that's what they want to do with this consumer behavior is bring it from the multiple app ecosystem into obviously the one Apple TV app to control, and then obviously you know reap the benefits from from subscriptions in there. Yeah, in retrospect, it kind of seems like they just should have been doing this in the TV app from the beginning of the the new Apple TV when it relaunched. Like the idea of an app store is now, it, it seems like it will continue to be there. But the two main features of the Apple TV are now going to be the Apple TV app and Arcade and Apple Arcade. <laughs> right. And they could, have, if they would have started from that perspective, you know, five years ago when they relaunched the Apple TV, we might be in a much further along place at this point. Yeah. I also feel like it became pretty clear to me that they're most likely not launching their own television hardware, given that they're licensing yeah. uh, their TV and TV Plus into Sony and LG and Samsung uh, over the course of this year. I think it that I mean, there were rumors that they wouldn't be doing that anyway, but this feels like to me the final step of that. Yeah. Train of thought. yeah. If anyone was hoping for an Apple television set in their living room i think it's just it's well not, past time yeah, it's not gonna happen notably this service is not available apple tv plus is not available for android and windows uh, which kind of limits their reach uh so what do you think that means in terms of like competing with netflix like do you think apple wants to compete with netflix or not i, I have never thought that apple wants to compete directly with netflix i think we're at the point where um the that Everybody is largely conceding that unless Netflix really can't catch up with their debt, that Netflix is in the the prime position at this point, and everybody is competing for number two, three, four. Yep. Um, Apple obviously wants to. Everybody wants to be number two now. If you can't be number one, be number two. Um, and I think that uh, the question around platforms and why it's on, say, Roku but not Android, is that it's it's really I think a matter of attracting talent in Hollywood. They need to be. Uh, accessible on television platforms. But I don't think people in Hollywood care as much about Windows and Android. Um, I don't think that it's about the pure audience numbers. It's about how easy it, is it for me to watch this on my TV. And the fact of the matter is that people with Android phones, a lot of them have Roku devices or Fire TV devices or Samsung smart TVs. Uh, and so they will be able to watch this content in their living room. Right. And I think Hollywood in general and uh, some people on stage uh, today, yesterday specifically, have been very dismissive of people watching their content on phones. So uh, if they can get those Android people to watch their content on in the living room, even better. True. Um, the, the services that were announced, the three of them, um, are all separate today with some 
pricing missing. Do you think this is the lead up to a larger Apple super bundle to be announced later on in the year? I actually think it's smart to launch this way because I think you need usage before you can prove the value of combining them. Um, And I think there could be some interesting learnings around how people cross-pollinate across these services, how they're being used, what device implications does that have? Like, is there a multi-device type of bundle? Um, But I think you crawl before you walk, before you run. And I think um, who, who knows if they end up combining everything into one bundle, but I do think it's smart to test and learn and determine usage before undertaking a massive investment like that. I think 100% there will be a bundle in the fall. I think the reason they didn't disclose pricing for Arcade or TV Plus is that they don't want you just adding up all of the prices for them without announcing the bundle. Mm. Um, Who knows? There might be more services coming in the fall as well that we don't know about yet. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, And I also think that they will bundle them with Apple Music. I think that if there is a bundle price, it will be for all of the media services. You know, there have been rumors about other, that there was also going to be an app subscription service similar to Arcade, but for apps. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that showed up. We've talked a lot about the fact that uh, they could do a premium podcast product at some Mm -hmm. point. Maybe that's just not ready to talk about yet. You know, there's pray. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to hear what that. I'm, I'm, I'm keep keep my ear to the ground on that one. You know, there could be iCloud storage bundles. There could be you know Apple Care. Who knows? There's a lot of other things they could throw into a bundle. Um, but I will. I do think that the reason that they haven't announced pricing for everything is they didn't just want you adding things up on your calculator right. and saying, "Oh my God, it's going to cost another forty or fifty dollars a month." Uh, because I think if you pay for them separately, they will be expensive. Right. Well, we'll see what happens in the fall. Uh, but it's you know if some people on like Twitter have been doing like quick math and if you kind of look at everything at like $10 a month and you get like 1% of Apple's billion subscribers to actually pay for the, like that bundle. I mean, it's just, it's billions of dollars coming in at Apple's bottom line a month, which would be kind of something exactly they need right now as the iPhone is starting to flatten out as they kind of take that next step into what that next evolution of their product line will be. Yeah, I just want to counter that narrative a little bit because clearly all of this stuff was in progress well before the iPhone started to plateau. Right, true, and true. I just hate the media narrative that Apple is like scrambling to find another growth engine. Right. They knew that the iPhone was going to plateau at some point, and that might be why services was chosen. Right. I, and I do think it's a nice, convenient bridge until they have um, products like Apple Watch and AirPods and maybe glasses and cars start to come to market and and get big enough to really you know continue that growth. But right. Well, with that, let's move into the Apple Card. Um, For those that don't know, Apple announced uh, a credit card called Apple Card, which is backed by Goldman Sachs and MasterCard. It's a virtual credit card that's fully integrated with Apple Pay. It uses machine learning to display friendly merchant names rather than codes, organizes purchases in categories for expense tracking, budgeting, etc., has rewards of daily cash, so you actually get cash back on a daily basis. Um, and it works in any place that accepts Apple Pay or MasterCard. Um, and most notably, where I've seen like, the most talk about this is the Titanium Card that comes with it. <laughs> People still want to flex. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> Big time. That, that, that's going to be the summer flex, as what uh, Twitter has been telling me. <laughs> Pulling out that Titanium Card at the bar. No, the flex is never not using Apple Pay for anything ever again, (laughs) (laughs) which is possible in Australia, apparently. 99%. Yeah. (laughs) They have the the infrastructure uh, uh, built out. Uh, So, Christina, I want your thoughts on this. Uh, Apple Card, um, you've been thinking about it a lot. What are are your, your, your initial thoughts? 
Yeah, I think typically when we see cashback cards, that tends to be kind of your entry-level card. And I think that makes a lot of sense, right? In this case, um, we see mobile payment adoption split generally on generational lines. And so if you can get consumers into the fold early when they're potentially getting their first credit card, it's already in their iPhone that they're on, you know, six hours a day or whatever. It's a really easy cross-sell to sell them on an Apple card. Uh, I think it's also very interesting. If you think about kind of legacy payments providers and banks, they started in a non-digital world generally, right? And I think it also speaks to this new crop of digital native financial providers like Robinhood, like um, SoFi, like Apple Card that don't have almost like the legacy boundaries of physical business models, and they can start from scratch in digitally native environments. And I think that kind of spawns a totally new type of expectation when you're launching a card or a financial services product. So I think that angle is also very interesting. Um, And I think, you know, they launched with Goldman Sachs and with MasterCard, and those are two legacy providers. But I think they're um, the primary benefit of the card will likely be to drive Apple wallet adoption. I think, Mm -hmm. yes, the titanium card is cool depending on who you ask. Um, but I think the way that the incentives are structured from Apple pay to the actual physical card, you only get 1% cash back. If you use the card, the physical card, you get 2% cash back if you use your mobile wallet. So what that tells me is the card exists, yes, for the flex factor, but also in places where they don't accept Apple Pay yet. Uh, that's kind of the stopgap solution. And if enough people are pulling out that card at those merchants, they're more likely to convert over to a more universal, what an Apple hopes is a universal payments platform. Yeah, and a, and a more secure platform with Apple Pay. Um, I mean, that's something that it's 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 all it's all encoded on the phone itself. It's much more difficult to steal like that number, yeah. if if at all. Yeah. The interesting thing is that even if you have to use the physical card or can't use Apple Pay and have to type a number into a website or something, those numbers are still dynamically generated in in the wallet app for the card. So it's still some of the benefits of Apple Pay, even in terms of security, even if you're not actually using your phone to pay. Mm-hmm. And. When you look at this card, I mean, like, is this is another play for them to create that larger ecosystem lock-in? Like, is this one more thing that they like, one more product that they can provide that like they have found a pain point, they have created a, a better user experience, and now knowing that you have an iPhone, but you can also have this, you know, super easy, you know, access to credit that you can go out and, and kind of have. So I think in terms of ecosystem lock-in, what I like about this is as more commerce moves to mobile, especially social commerce and on-demand mobile native shopping experiences and even QSR experiences, the fact that you can, from your mobile phone, use Apple Pay to instantly buy those services, you don't need to pull out another card, just makes the shopping experience all that more frictionless um, and ups kind of the cash that's running across Apple's um, payments provider. So I think it's a really smart move in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think for Apple, this does two things. One, it obviously encourages through the cashback reward structure, 
uh, adoption of Apple Pay and use of Apple Pay. So not just, you know, a lot of people probably have a credit card in their um, wallet on their phone, but this actually, because of it, it incentivizes you to use Apple Pay over the physical card. It, you know, encourages you to get over that sometimes slightly socially awkward moment where you're trying to Apple Pay for something and it's unclear if they take it or the cashier doesn't know how it works. And there's still some social friction there around using mobile payments in certain circumstances, I think. And this would maybe encourage people to get over that. The other thing that it lets Apple do is um, use their leverage to pressure uh, the other people in the financial services industry to respond and innovate through things like the super clear labeling of transactions and using push notifications for uh, fraud detection and things like that. Just uh, slight user user slight user interface improvements that uh, still make a big difference because they are coming from a digitally native place. And if this card gets any traction at all, it's just going to encourage the rest of the industry to have to move in that direction to compete, which I think is a, a good thing for consumers. Right. I wonder what this means for Venmo too. I mean, they've been using, they've had Apple Pay Cash in the US to compete with Venmo. Um, I think it's still just in the US. I don't think, and this card is yeah. also just launching in the, US, the US, by the way. Um, so I, you know, unclear if, if it's really having an impact. Um, you know, we know that uh, young people use iMessage a lot. And if you're already there, it seems like it would make sense to use it to send money but yeah i, I think i think the i think the one thing that venmo has is is like a larger like awareness and like like adoption right now uh but i could see that easily shifting towards the apple cash but again apple cash is only transferable between iphones right so that's another advantage for venmo is that you can kind of go you know cross device with that one i think what venmo does too is um it's a social feed in a lot of ways. Like I can see what my friends are doing based on um, what they're saying on Venmo. And there's that performative aspect. I almost think though that Apple's advantage in that case is that it is one-to-one and peer-to-peer very directly. And there is no feed that can be yeah. populated. Or... It's like the opposite of what Apple wants, right? Right. It's, Apple is uh, doubling down on privacy and making a big deal about the fact that even though obviously Goldman Sachs as the issuing bank has to be able to see your transactions uh, to prostitute for fraud monitoring and, and billing and things that they won't be able to s- sell them to yeah, third parties, data. which is something that is common among other banks. So, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's their mind. I mean, privacy first, they said consumer first. So yeah. um, it's a real uh, differentiator in the market today. Yeah. And it, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see the power of the default it's like the last thing I'll end on with this card is if that becomes like a default card for anybody because it's already in your wallet. It's a tap to sign up, scan your face. I'm curious to see if this is the only financial services product they roll out. Mm. Yeah. We yeah. we were definitely speculating yesterday as because as Christina said, cashback cards tend to be at the lower end of the market and maybe, you know, someone's first credit card. I imagine, you know, Apple will still see how many with the kinds of cards that are in your Apple wallet. So if you're still using your premium cards, I could imagine them in the future launching a more premium product. Yeah. And also, benefits. Yeah. and also yes, that's, I think that's the key. Like, I, a lot of people might want different benefits towards like travel mm-hmm. or whatnot. So there's, there's opportunity to grow on the benefits side too. It's interesting that, um, they don't have a sign on benefit. Uh, Whereas that's a major strategy for a number of different financial services providers is the 60,000 points that you get when you sign up and then spend $3,000 on your card in the the first three months. We'll see how Apple adoption ramps, who is um, ramping up with the Apple card 
um, and see if that if there are any learnings there also on how to go to market. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the biggest question for me is it, it it was very subtle because they moved past it quickly, but there was a big ad for the card inside of Apple Wallet when they started showed the application process, which was one tap. But I'm curious how much uh, awareness and how much conversion that's going to drive to applicants. Well, hopefully we'll, we uh, find out uh, over the next few months. Um, and with that, I want to kind of just drive us right into our last section here, all about brand takeaways. Um, so if we look at all the products that were announced between the financial services, between the media services, um, what are you guys seeing from like a brand perspective? Like what does this all mean for brands? Uh, Adam, you want to kick us off with this one? Yeah, I mean, I think what what Apple is showing is that brands with um, a lot of consumer trust and a lot of consumer investment are really free to expand into any number of adjacent categories. These are all things, services that are not core to Apple's business model. Um, but the advantage there is it lets them compete asymmetrically. They don't actually need that credit card to uh, make a lot of profit uh, because it its value is in keeping consumers loyal to their iPhone and also driving um, you know, user change throughout the financial services industry. And uh, the same thing that's happening with TV. They don't necessarily need an individual TV show to make a lot of money, similar to how Amazon values their shows and sort of how it converts to you know, toilet paper sales right. and things like that. <laughs> Always uh, goes back to toilet paper. <laughs> Always goes back to toilet paper. <laughs> but uh, the the... It seems a little counterintuitive, but when you do have a trusted brand like Apple, um, you can expand slowly into these other adjacent categories and that lends your trust and the, the value that consumers place in your brand to those categories. And because your business isn't, it isn't central to your business, you can sometimes come up with really interesting creative business models um, that can change the industry. And I think that's what's most interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. Christina, how about yourself? I think for me, if I'm a brand looking to enter this ecosystem, I don't see a ton of ways in to integrate. I think with Apple Card, right? MasterCard is the, is, you know, a partner of theirs as is Goldman Sachs. I didn't really see any brand opportunities outside of that. And there aren't going to be, you know, multiple credit card providers that integrate. Maybe, I mean, never say never, but I think, um, there aren't a lot of advertising opportunities. They were they were very conscious to say, this is not an advertising platform. We won't collect data for advertising. And so when you think about, uh, from a brand's standpoint, I think the way around this is things like product placement in original videos. I was reading a stat yesterday that 90% of Hulu originals and 74% of Netflix originals have product placement in them. I think that's the way around a non-advertising supported model. There are opportunities like that to elevate the brand and not be, you know, the one that's spraying dirty ads across these platforms in a haphazard way, but be really considered about it and help in that curatorial aspect and add to the consumer experience, which I think is something, Adam, you pointed out really rightfully. Yeah, and I think the other thing is just outside of integrating is just creating your own content, obviously. Um, I was very surprised uh, to see that one of the featured magazines in Apple News Plus is Airbnb's magazine, um, which actually showed up in physical form at my apartment over the weekend. <laughs> so uh, it's, I think it's interesting that they invested so much in, um, you know, developing so much content and, and you know, uh, working with um, presumably lots of freelance writers to develop uh, travel content. Um, and to the point that they 
actually were one of the launch partners for Apple News Plus. Um, so it just goes to show that you know creating content, there's a, a ton of you know brands that that invest in content, and I think as as we get a lot more paywalled content, I think that more and more brands will invest in premium content, not just what we traditionally think of as branded content, and work with premium content creators to get their content behind those paywalls. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, uh, I have to say there was still no mention of AirPower, uh, so we'll <laughs> see. We'll see what happens uh, in the fall. Uh, but if you're looking for more great content, please check out our website, ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Uh, follow us on our social channels at IPG Lab for Instagram and Twitter uh, and share. Tell your friends if you like what you hear. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. So uh, thank you. Talk soon.